Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky, here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, we're in the middle of a discussion here, talking about how to create evangelization as the new mission of the church. And in last week's episode, we discussed about children entering into baptism, going from the Bible passage of saying, go out and baptize. So today I wanted to kind of flip it on the other side about the adults, you know, adults that may not be baptized, that were baptized, that need to return. And I just wanted to put a focus upon them in this particular cast and, and see the best ways and the best ways to go about that. Well, thanks, Joe. I think it's, uh, it's a critical question how to reach out to those those adults who were baptized, maybe even catechized a little bit, but have fallen away from the faith. There are those adults more and more in our culture who are like I was, uh, who were not baptized and who were not raised in the faith, or baptized but never catechized, never raised in the faith. Uh, and in, in all of these cases, you know, that, that critical step of, of conversion is the, the piece that's most important and also perhaps most mysterious. If we look at the teaching of uh, St. Teresa of Avila, for example, uh, who is one of the great Carmelite doctors of the church lived in the 16th century was that was a time of the Reformation, Protestant Reformation, and she was a Carmelite nun, cloistered nun, and she uh, really worked on reforming the Carmel and gave just gave a lot of teaching on prayer, gave spiritual direction to people, knew a lot of people, but she described the path of the interior life towards union with God. You know, you and I have discussed several times, Joe, the, what is, what's our goal? You know, what are we aiming at? Well, we're aiming at union with God. We want to be so united with God that we act with him and think with him and uh, we become more and more one with him. You know, that's, and then we become more and more godlike in the correct sense of that, that word, not in the way that Adam and Eve tried to become godlike under the temptation of Satan, that they would become God without God, replacing God with their own powers, but that we become God with God, that we work together with him so effectively and so closely that it's uh, really a kind of divine activity that we're doing. So the path toward union with him, St. Teresa of Avila described as a pathway of seven mansions uh, going deeper and deeper into our interior and Christ is enthroned in the center. And she said, you know, there are a lot of people who have not entered into the first mansion yet. And they haven't even started. They're not even in the game. You know, they haven't even started in that process. And the, the world is so loud and so much with us and just starting on the path of Christian life, just taking up, uh, a life of prayer, uh, entering in, you know, she describes the, the interior castle as being surrounded with a moat that has all kinds of nasty creatures in that moat. And uh, those nasty creatures are the kind of 
you know, sinful habits and sinful activities and self-absorption, self-centeredness and striving after kind of worldly success and uh, worldly pleasures and all these kinds of things and just really making that the center of our lives. And uh, we have to be willing to die to some of that, let some of that go and, and enter into this, this pathway, this journey of, of saying, I want God to be the center of my life. I want to set out on this journey. I want to become really Christian. And, and what, what is that initial conversion, you know, and how do you help people make that initial conversion? Uh, again, there, there's a mystery there. There, there isn't a, and it's, and it's unique for each person. There isn't a kind of one size fits all uh, pathway for that. But, but there are certainly things that we can do to help that initial conversion. And that's for people who are totally unchurched. That's for people who were maybe baptized and raised in the faith, but never took it very seriously. Um, that's people for people who maybe were excited about their faith as children, but then kind of fell away at some point and really gave in to the, the path and the culture of the world. Um, so how do you, how do you help people across that initial conversion and to really set out on a, on a, make a decision for Christ and set out on that path? That's, I think that's kind of the, the core of your question. And ultimately it comes down to a witness, you know, somebody inside the castle uh, raising a flag and saying, Hey, it's better in here. You know, <laughs> come on, come on over. Um, it's, it's going to be a good decision. It's going to make a positive difference in your life to be able to do that. And I think that's really the most critical piece is being able to give that witness and being able to show a life that's transformed by Christ. I, I don't think there's any better, uh, better thing that we can do than that. And, and then from the point of view of that witness, what concretely can we invite people into, you know, inviting people to pray with us, inviting people to pray on their own inviting people to read from the scripture, inviting people to read spiritual books to find some inspiration, um, you know, being willing to walk with people, and then certainly groups, prayer groups in our parish. And I think things like the Christ Life program that's uh, become a little more popular in your diocese in Pittsburgh and my diocese in Greensburg, and in a lot of places it, it grew out of uh, the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is popular in a lot of places. But it's a kind of concrete program that brings people into relationship with believers and puts in front of people the kinds of reflections and questions of how to really turn our life over to Christ and how to set out more concretely with a decision on that path. And that's why it's effective, not just because it's a program and we kind of crank people through it, but because it brings people into relationship and leads people to a reflection and invites people to some concrete changes in their thinking and in their decisions and their priorities. And that really opens them to an encounter with Christ and helps them to kind of step over the moat with all of those nasty creatures and to step into a place that they're really on a journey uh, towards the Lord, a journey of discipleship. And so Christ's life follows three sessions, discovering Christ, which does very much what I just described, uh, and then following Christ. Uh, how does that look as I engage more intensely in my life with him? What does my moral life look like? What, are, what does my thought life look like? What, are my, what does my prayer life look like? And then uh, sharing Christ is the last stage. I, ultimately, my Christianity is always going to stagnate unless I find ways to share it. 
And so that threefold process is, uh, can be very, very powerful for people. That's just one example of, a, I think, a, a fruitful program that helps to facilitate this kind of witness, encounter, reflection, and then commitment from people to follow the Lord. So uh, that's a, I threw a few things out there for you to, uh, to take in and happy to take any other directions you want to go with that. Certainly. So in essence, again, it, it all starts with having the relationship and trying to get to the best relationship with Christ. And I think that one of the hardest problems that people have or see is they have that instinctual barometer. What is bad? What is good? And the problem is, is that the enemy of great is not bad. It's good. So you're having people saying, well, I'm not lying, I'm not murdering, I'm not stealing. So I'm not doing bad things. But I'm not doing, as you just mentioned, the bringing more people on board or taking the step into the castle. You know, they're on the road, but they're not entering in. Because in part, not seeing what great actually is in my belief and part of why we do this is that there's a lot of people that are in that category of neutral to good that just don't know what great is to be able to get there. They don't want to be destructive. They don't want to be tearing people down. On the other hand, they don't know how or what is better. And I'd like to take a moment here to kind of articulate how to be a witness, how to do that last step to invite people in, to articulate what the great side would be. When you make it a really important point, Joe, that in the question of good and bad, it's not binary. So in other words, not bad is not the same as good. (laughs) And, you know, I just thought, Let's, let's take this out to a logical extreme. Somebody who sits and watches television all day, that's all they do. Well, they haven't killed anybody. They haven't stolen anything. They haven't lied to anybody. They haven't done bad in the sort of active sinful sense. But I don't think anybody would consider that to be good. Right? That's not a good life. And so... Yeah, what does good look like? Well, good looks like doing good. And I think all of us have a pretty natural sense of that. We we tend to narrow the focus or narrow the the field of what of what good we do and how much good we do. You know, it's like, okay, if I just kind of do good for my family, isn't that enough? You know, well, the question is, have you really done good for your family if all you've done is good for your family? You know, if you haven't introduced your children to doing good for other people, if you haven't ever introduced them to some service, if you haven't introduced them to some uh, sacrifice for people outside of the family, if it's just a closed circle, uh, 
have you really done good for them? Have you done as much good for them as you can? So I think just expanding that, that sense of good, allowing good to diffuse itself and, and good through concrete actions, uh, real service, real turning out of ourselves and paying attention to where the needs are for other people. Um, just had somebody yesterday, uh, I'm taking a, a course and one of my, my brother priests on the course noticed that uh, I was a little, well, he, he uh, just asked me, he said, you know, are you okay? And I said, yeah, you know, we were talking about life things in general and I am okay. I'm doing a lot of good things. I really love my life. And uh, he said, you just haven't seemed like your normal chipper self. And then I kind of thought, and I, I realized what he meant. You know, the course has been a little bit frustrating for me. And uh, so I, then I had a chance to share some of that with him. It was things that I hadn't articulated because I didn't want to just be negative and just kind of dealing with it on my own and trying to focus on other things. But it was beautiful of him to notice. You know, he was paying attention enough to notice that I was not my normal chipper self. And then he reached out to me and asked the question and opened himself to, to listening and understanding. That's doing good. And, uh, you know, when we, when we see that people are struggling, when we see that people have problems, when we see, you know, whether it's in the, in the workplace or the people we work with, do we just turn away? Do we just walk, walk past them? And I think any of us would recognize Gosh, if you could be more sensitive to other people, if you could be more helpful for other people, um, that would be a more fulfilling life. And, and that's the pathway that Christianity offers us. If we really live a life in Christ, then he's making us more sensitive, more open, paying more attention to what's happening outside of us. We're not so consumed with being self-serving and, and fulfilling our own needs. And by being less consumed with that, we can be more attentive to what's, what other people are doing. And I think even in the political atmosphere, you know, when we look at politicians, we can tell the difference between people who are checking off boxes so that they can say they've, you know, kissed babies and, and uh, patted people on the head and have only done that for politically expedient purposes. We see the ones who are really generous, who are really going outside of themselves, who are really listening to people, who are really paying attention to how they can use their power to serve others. Uh, I don't think it takes a, you know, a theologian to describe what it means to live a good life. And then you know, to go back to your point about not doing wrong, I talk to a lot of married couples and I hear a lot of problems in marriages. And those problems stem from a lot of selfishness because <laughs> the fact is, you know, the fact someone just sitting on the couch all day and watching television is not going to live a happy marriage because maybe he's not actively offending his wife, but he certainly isn't doing what he should be doing as a husband. And she's going to be upset about it and feel neglected and be resentful and rightly so. And she'll challenge him about it and however he handles that. You know, but just not doing, not stealing, not killing, not committing adultery, whatever, is not nearly enough. I mean, it's not nearly enough to to feel fulfilled in life, to to feel like uh, really a good person. And so, again, Christianity gives us a pathway toward a freedom from self-absorption, freedom from self-centeredness, 
a freedom to serve others, to be attentive to the needs of others. And that helps us to develop real deep, meaningful relationships, not just sort of superficially not offending each other. Um, although again, you know, I, I talk to a lot of married people and there's a lot of offending going on. Some of it intentional, some of it unintentional, some of it just wounds coming up, but there's a lot of offensive stuff that happens out there. Uh, I think we're far from even being in the category of not doing bad. <laughs> I think all of us could identify pretty easily the bad that we do Maybe we justify it, maybe we sweep it under the rug, maybe we pretend it's not so important, but the fact is we're all doing plenty of bad that can also use some conversion and really make us into more loving people, people who really do choose the good. And then, you know, that pushes all its way into more subtle things in terms of business dealings and different ethical considerations and how we really uh, treat people and anyway a lot of more a lot more stuff from there but I think really doing good with all of our life is so fulfilling and and is beautiful and is really what we're made for and if we're falling short of that at some level we're feeling it I think people who say oh you know my life is fine I think they're deluding themselves uh, and 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 even know it you know, I don't, I don't think it takes a, a, a Sunday preacher to convince us that our life is not as fulfilling as, as it could be, uh, as we imagine it is. So being able to, to witness to those things and call people on and inspire them, just like you said, Joe, that life is, there's more to life than this. And, and life is really worth living if we, if we make a choice to live it well. And taking the essence of of where you just went there was that obviously not being binary, which I think that more and more we try to get force people into groups. If you're either here or you're there, and that might just be me caught in the trap, but also that if you're doing good, you will know it and being neutral is not good. And I think that that's part of, of what, what we're trying to articulate there. So as we look to move forward here, you know, we're obviously the next podcast is about marriage. So I don't want to jump too far ahead of the gun here, but as we're looking forward here with adults in, in their everyday life, trying to figure out ways to, to how to show it. Yes, you just gave a great example about the other priest observing about you that, that something was off. And at the core of that, I'm sure you have a million other examples. At the core of all of what I was gathering from you, and please correct me if I was wrong, was that the best way to draw closer to Christ is to do what he did on the cross, which was to empty himself for others obviously it's a lot less intense to notice uh, your friend is acting a little bit different but still that is emptying yourself to know what your friend's baseline is and to point out the difference therein and i would kind of like to to go the next direction of the path about 
how to more fully do that, how to to do that, because a lot of us, I think, would like to instinctually do that, but just aren't good at it. Well, and and uh, let me affirm your summary, Joe. Yeah, I mean the the meaning of our lives is that we are made for love, and the essence of love is willing the good of the other even to and including the sacrifice of ourselves and so that's exactly what christ did on the cross he revealed most fully god's love for us god wills our good our salvation and he does that even to the point of sacrificing himself as christ did on the cross so yeah that's the uh the executive summary of the whole process and uh how do we how do we become more sensitive? How do we get out of ourselves more? Well, again, you know, the the ordinary path of the Christian life has that all built in. Um, making dedicated times for prayer uh, helps us to get in touch with our own interior life more deeply. Helps us to open that interior life to the Lord and be open to His transforming grace. So He has a way of exposing sin and purifying it. And to not use just theological vocabulary, but sin as understood being contrary to love. And love at its essence is willing the good of the other and self-sacrifice. So uh, any ways that we're not doing that, because we're turning in on ourselves, we're turning away from other people, we're choosing our own selfish pleasures rather than really choosing to pay attention to others. So all those things we gather in Christian language, under the term sin, uh, people have used that as a baseball bat to beat people with, and so it has a little bit of a bad taste in our mouths. But, you know, just to say it simply, sin is, is contrary to love. So when we spend time in prayer, when we spend time uh, reading the scriptures, meditating on the, the truths of our faith, asking God for his help, uh, he has a way of drawing our sin to the surface because sin starts in our minds. It starts with attitudes and judgments that are sinful, that somehow feeding my faith is more important than paying attention to uh, my neighbor and, and his needs, you know, or that watching television is more important than listening to my wife and uh, what she needs from me. So, uh, exposing those sinful attitudes, exposing those sinful thoughts, paying attention to uh, where I'm, I'm going off the rails. That's a part of what comes out. And then I make some concrete efforts to, to change that, to have some conversion. How can I look at life a little differently? How can I uh, respond to my wife a little differently? How can I look at my coworkers a little differently? And uh, so prayer is a part of that. And we also start to learn, you know, there's an interconnection of the whole moral fabric that uh, doing good in one area helps us to do good in other areas. And ultimately, uh, good is moving toward a totality to consume everything in our lives. And so we can't kind of keep a little side thing where I'm not doing good. You know, I... I'm, I'm basically a good husband and father, but I, you know, cheat on my taxes and I'm a corrupt business owner. Well, it's not really going to work. 
evil has a way of, of spreading through our lives as well. And so actually coming to a more integral, a more whole, a more coherent life with a consistent ethic of goodness is, is critical. And again, that happens through prayer, happens also through study, being aware that some practices are unethical, that treating people in this way is, uh, is, is a bad thing. Uh, you know, so uh, prayer and study can help us to uh, identify areas in our life where we could do more good. And, and then ultimately also, you know, we can't be Christian on our own. We can really only be Christian by being part of a community. And so we start to build some relationships with other Christians and we start to build some community. And that helps us to concretely practice goodness in a Christian community where there's a, a culture of loving each other. We learn a lot from that. I remember very much uh, one of the really silly, simple things that we do at St. Vincent Arch Abbey, where I live, my, my home with the Benedictines, is we tend to hold the door for each other. And I've gotten really good at holding the door for people. When I'm walking a little bit ahead of them, when I'm uh, you know, a little bit behind them, when I'm to the left, when I'm to the right, when I, in just about every configuration, I figured out how to hold the door for people. You know, it's just a silly thing, but there's there's something uh, you know important about those practices. And I really just nobody told me I need to do that. I just watched other people do it, and I recognized the charity that's there. And I said, oh, I could do that. And I started doing it more and more. So being part of a Christian community helps us to form practices just by uh, even without thinking about it, just kind of by living in that culture, ways that we serve each other, ways that we pay attention to each other's needs, because we experience other people doing it for us, and then we naturally do it for others. So prayer, study, living in community, those are ways that we start to take in and absorb, digest Christianity in a way that it really starts to transform our behavior and help us to consistently do what is good. And that's beautiful. And that's something that makes a whole lot of sense. The more that you're doing well in your life, the more that it will encompass the remainder. Essentially what you're describing is habits of doing well, habits of humility and charity, um, which that is that most people probably wouldn't even think of, but nonetheless, that still is an act of both humility and charity to, you know, to not have to be the first that's seen entering into a room or, or what have you. And I'd imagine that each of us out there in our own daily lives probably has a number of activities that could reflect into that category that we don't even think of that we could do a little bit more. And it's probably a good challenge to take forward as we move throughout this week. So again, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to the series here. We are going to be continuing it here next week. Sorry for being a day late here. We had a little bit of a scheduling conflict. Please uh, continue to review us on whatever site you're getting the podcast from. We look forward to talking to you next week.